All right, so if you are in third grade and below and you would like to head to Children's Church, now is the time to go. But if you want to stay and hang out with us, you can do that. And for the rest of us, open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, which is where we've been for the past three or four weeks. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. So if you're new to the Bible, feel free to turn to the table of contents. That's what it's there for. And then... Uh, chapter means the big bold number on the page, and the verses are the small numbers. And so while you're turning there, I want to tell you something that actually last night, so we had the young singles over to our house, and they, I was reminded of a story, a really gross story of something that I did a couple years ago. And so sometimes we get confused. Uh, well, a couple years ago, my mother-in-law made us sausage balls. So what that is, is it is a ball of breakfast sausage with like biscuit uh, batter baked into it. And so it's like a ball, but it's like a sausage biscuit, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Okay. It's super good. And so she made a whole bunch of them for us and stuck them in our freezer. And, uh, and so one day I'm driving to, I got some out and I just stuck it. I thought I just, okay, cool. I'm going to heat it up and heat it on the way to work. So I heated it up and, and in the microwave for like 30 seconds. And I was driving to work and I had two of them and I was eating it, and I was like eating it, and it felt slimy. It was kind of gross. And I was like, these are weird. Okay, I'm going to muscle through it. And so I just ate them, okay? I got to work, and just, you know, nothing happened. Well, later on, the next day or so, Dara got a couple out of the freezer and stuck them in the oven and started to cook them. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, these are raw. You have to cook them. I had no idea. Uh, so, all that to say, sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we, I was totally confused then. I felt really dumb at that point, but I didn't get sick or anything, so I'm good. But sometimes we get confused. Now, we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells in which he says it in an intentionally confusing way. And, like, Jesus says the story in order for you to not understand what he's saying. So let's look. It's called the parable of the sower, starting in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And he says again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. And so he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, uh, he, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. Now, if you're unfamiliar I am I'm from the city. I don't do anything to do with farming. I had, an, I had a jalapeno plant one that, once that didn't do very well. It's so like a sower, basically a person. It's a farmer. It's what it is, okay? So, listen, the sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Let's pray before we get into God's word together. So, Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you um, 
uh, for this time we have to look at it and to look deeply into it, to understand what you want to say to us in this. And so I pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to hear what you want to say to us this morning, and that we would respond to that. And so we love you. We praise you for coming for us and for giving us your revelation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus tells this story about a farmer. And of course, everyone who listens to this story is kind of confused because if you listen, he's like, listen, I, one day this guy went out to sow. He was gonna, he's going to grow some tomato plants, some other stuff. And he starts throwing the seed out. Some of it fell on the ground on the, on the path. And um, it didn't go anywhere. It died. And then some other stuff went among the rocks, and it kind of came up one day, and then it died because uh, the sun came and scorched it because it didn't have room to, for its roots to go. And then another one went among thorns, but then another one was awesome, and it had soil, and it grew up, and it had a lot of fruit. Pay attention to what God wants to tell you in this. Everyone there is like, that makes no sense at all, Jesus. This literally makes no sense. And he addresses it. Look what he says. Verse 10 when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so his 12 disciples plus some other people who were interested, they came and asked him about the parables, and he, he explained to them, or he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything comes in parables. So you might have heard it said that the reason Jesus told parables or taught parables was because they lived in an agrarian society. And he told things in a way to where people would understand more of what his kingdom was like. What Jesus literally just told his disciples was the exact opposite. He told stories, told parables to be intentionally confusing. And he quotes the Old Testament. Look what he says. So that they may indeed look, yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. What a weird thing. What a weird method of, of teaching for Jesus here. So he's, he's teaching in parables, and he says it, I'm teaching this way in order that you will not understand so that you won't come and be forgiven. What a bizarre thing. That's not the, like the typical Jesus that like, we, we talk about or we, we praise or we think about a lot. We're like, no, Jesus wants everyone to come, and he does. But he's making a point here. By teaching in parables, he's making a specific point. And so we're going to see in just a second, he's going to explain this parable to his disciples. But to everyone who's on the outside, he doesn't explain it. And his point here. His point is that only those who truly want to understand them will understand them. He's teaching in a way to where you have to come to him for the answer. And if you don't seek him and look for the answer, you will never find it. That's what he's doing. And so your reaction to Jesus teaching in this way, and this crowd's reaction to Jesus teaching in this way shows or begins to reveal what kind of soil they are, or what kind of person that they are, what kind of reaction they have towards Jesus. The way you react to his parables reveals what you think about him. And so for all the crowd, a lot of people, they kind of hear this, and they're like, that makes no sense, and you kind of walk away. And what you're revealing is you are the path. You are the person among whom the seed was thrown, sown, and it went nowhere. 
And so the way you react to this reveals who you are. And so look what he says here. Look what he says here. So, so then he turns to his disciples in verse 13. And he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? And then he says this in verse 14. Okay, I'm going to explain it to you. The sower sows the word. Okay, so he's talking about the farmer who was throwing the seed out. He's like, the seed is the word. And there's something significant about this because this is the method that the sower uses to produce fruit in, in all these different soils. He's, he's thrown out indiscriminately to all the different kinds of soils there are, and it's what the seed is, is the word. And so what Jesus is saying is that what he is doing in the world is he is sowing the word of God out among all people, and those who respond to it positively are the ones who bear fruit. Listen, listen to what Hebrews, this is not, this, this is be on the end on the slides here. I'll just read it to you real quick. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And look, it connects this to God. It connects the word to God's mind. Look what it says in verse 13. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Isn't that crazy? So the scripture that God gives for us that reveals our hearts and that penetrates us is connected to God in heaven. And so when God speaks, it's through his word. And so when he wants to move in the world and call people to follow him, he does it through his word. That's what he's doing here. And so Jesus is going out, and he is sowing the word. He is giving the word out, and the ones who respond to it positively are the ones whom bear fruit, who bear fruit. And so that's what he says. Now let's look at the different kinds of people. So look at verse 15. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. That's a scary thought. Okay, that's kind of it. Like, what do you do with that? Okay, so some are like, some are like the path. Hopefully none of us here, but some of us, some people in the world are like the path. And so, so the, when the word is thrown out, they are already hardened to it, to where it just bounces off of them. There's nothing there for the Word to take root in their life. And so this is someone who has rejected God or is choosing to rebel against God and says, no, I don't want you to speak to that to me. I don't want anything to do with the Word. Or maybe you just don't care. Maybe you don't care, and you're like, I don't care what it says. That's unimportant. There's all these other religions in the world. Who knows what's right? If I was born in India, then maybe I would have been a Hindu, and who cares? In the end, we're all like just trying to be good people, and that's it. And so what, what's happening here is this person is hardened to God, hardened towards the things of God. And you may be antagonistic. You may just be agnostic. But look what happens. This is a scary thought. Is that Satan comes and steals away that which was, was sown there. And this is something that I have found in my life since coming actually t- to this church is that I've never been attacked more spiritually than I have in the last six months. And I, I mean that sincerely. 
In fact, leading up to coming here, I really not disbelieved it, but I kind of disbelieved like in the spiritual warfare type of stuff in which you had uh, like, uh, like this, this dark, like evil power at work in the world, Satan like at work in the world and leading us to, to trip us up, to tempt us and to, to cloud our minds and cause us to not be able to think about other things other than like what we're dwelling on at that moment. And But Ephesians chapter 6 actually says this to us. Look at verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 6. This is put on, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the strengths, or against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers of the dark, of of this darkness against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So for Paul, he said, this is a reality. Spiritual warfare is real. There, is an e- there are evil powers out there that are coming at you, coming at you to distract you, to make you interested in other things like Sports Center or like Pinterest or whatever else. Like, think about this for just for a second. This might, like, for me personally, put it in a different perspective. Why at times I really dread reading my Bible, or at times when I really can always find other things to do. And so if there's something out there, if there's a force out there, if there's like Satan is out there and he desires me to not turn to God and desires me not to read my Bible, then that puts my my time on Twitter or my time on the Yahoo Sports app or my time on TechSags really in a different perspective because those are the things that I will turn to when I'm kind of just sitting on the couch. I just kind of want to read for a second. I'm going to turn to reading about the Aggies or reading about the Cowboys or whatever it is or reading about smoking meat. That's, That's my new thing. And so I'll, t- I'll, turn, I'll turn to this other stuff, and I'll just, like, read about this stuff forever, for an hour go by, and then I'll be like, oh, man, I don't have time to read my Bible right now. The kids are now getting up from the nap. Why do you think those, those thoughts were put into my mind to read this other stuff and to dwell on this other stuff and always go back to this other stuff over and over and over again and waste all that time that I had that I really, in my mind, I was like, oh, when they go to bed, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to catch up on my Bible reading plan that I haven't read for the past couple of days. And then I'll be, I'll be caught up and I'll be good to go. And then all of a sudden, this other stuff on the internet pops up and then my kid wakes up right as a second. I put that down and pick up my Bible. because there are forces out there working against you. And so there's something that God says, something that Paul says to us in verse 17, because what are we supposed to do about it? What are we, like, what are we supposed to do? He says this, take the helmet of salvation and catch this, the sword of the Spirit. Here's your offensive weapon. Here's your offensive weapon against evil, like, like Satan, dark forces that are working against you and against your relationship with God. Here's your offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so look where this person has gotten, this person who's the pathway, who is, who's hardened, and there's no place for the, for, the, for the seed to penetrate, the Word to penetrate, because that person has neglected the Word of God. Now, 
they don't even have a choice in the matter anymore because when the word is given to them, Satan comes and even takes that away. And that's a scary place to be. Verse 16, and others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. And when they hear the word, immediately they receive this with joy. Yes, this person, great, we just baptized, not Tara, but we baptized this person. It's awesome, we're celebrating. But verse 17 is they have no root. And they're short-lived. When distress or persecution or the drive to church is 15 minutes and you don't want to make it anymore, becomes a, ha- becomes a, a hassle, when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away, fall away. And this is incredibly common, incredibly common. As a youth pastor, I saw this over and over and over and over again. There's one girl that we worked with for, for so long, like, like she got radically saved at, at a camp, and then for the next year, I mean, she was devouring everything, devouring everything. Like we'd say, She's like, I want to read the Bible. What do I read? And I said, well, we'll start with the Gospel of John. And like three days later, she's like, okay, what else do I read? Like that. Like that was just, it was amazing. She had all these theological questions she was wanting to read. She read a book about Revelation. <laughs> and then after about a year, we couldn't get in touch with her anymore. We tried for another year, just trying to get in touch, trying to keep up with her, trying to, trying to do anything. And that was kind of the end of the relationship. That was it. And so this is incredibly common of someone who, who, who doesn't have root. And so you receive the word with joy because there's nothing there underneath it. When any kind of distress, any kind of persecution comes, when there's any challenge, a call to take a hard step, a call to be consistent, a call to, to reject something that you used to do, or a call to be ridiculed by your friends at school or your friends who were your friends before you got saved and now they see you being different. When this comes up because of the word, because you, your relationship with God is causing you to act differently or be differently, when, when you get challenged, all of a sudden that reveals what kind of root you have. And immediately this person falls away. And so what happened with my, I mentioned my jalapeno plant. This is what my jalapeno plant did. I had it in my backyard. And I was like, oh, for like two weeks. I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I had like, like 20 jalapenos kind of sprout on this thing. And uh, after about a week, all of them fell off except two. And, uh, and then I tried to water that. And, uh, but when you have plants, you have kids, it's just like one is like more important. And like I'm like, I'm like no, I already fed a kid. I don't want to feed a plant too. And so... Uh, so I went to youth camp, and I was like, nah, forget it. I got back, and that thing was shriveled up. It was like 110 all week. And so it was like dead. And what happened is like when there was no water, there was no nourishment for that jalapeno plant. The same is true of this person. When there's no word, there's no nourishment. And what does that cause you to do? Shrivel up. And look at this next person, verse 18. Others are like seed sown among thorns. Seeds sown among thorns. And so for this guy, they were already there for all of us. There are thorns there. There are things uh, that, 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 and he'll explain what this is. Those are, these are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So for the last person, it was a person 
who faced a challenge, who faced so, like something in their life had to change or they had to be ridiculed or they had to be just be challenged because of their faith. This person hears the word and it begins to take root, but then all of a sudden, things of this world begin to pull at them. Whether it's money, whether it's men or women, boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's a desire for a certain thing, whether it's a certain promotion, whether it's a relationship that you had prior or a relationship you've gotten into since, all of a sudden you have these things that start to pull your job, the stress and time of your job, and it's just like, oh, that takes all of your time and your energy, and you get home, you're just tired, and you just want to go to bed, and that's, you just wake up and do it again and again and again. All of a sudden your, your attention goes to that. And so what this person does is they have the word take root in their life, but then all of a sudden all these thorns these pleasures of the world and these pressures of this world start pulling at it, and it chokes out the, what, anything that was sown to where the word in that was killed. And so, so you can be like someone who was challenged, or you can be like someone who's just drawn by pleasures. But both of those lead to someone who, who gains no fruit and who ultimately shrivels up. what's interesting is that these thorns actually can spread to other areas. So you can be someone who didn't originally begin with thorns. But if you start hanging out with thorns, guess what those thorns are going to do? Spread. That's what they do. They'll spread over, and then they begin to take over massive trees. That's what, they, 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 like that's what thorns do is they spread, and they do it really quickly. And so you can be someone who began with no thorns at all, but if you begin to put people in your life, if your closest friends, your closest friends, I'm not saying don't have friends who are not Christians, but if your closest friends are filled with thorns, guess what you're going to do? You're going to become filled with thorns. And so if, if you are around it 24-7, you're going you're gonna to have it. That's going to be a big battle for you to fight those off. But look at this last person. Look at this last person. Verse 20. And those like seeds sown on good ground, catch this, hear the word and welcome it. You hear the word of God and you welcome it. And produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. I want you to hear this. Three out of these four people heard the word and responded positively to it. Only one of them actually are saved. Only one of them are actually saved. So what's the distinction? What's the difference? The gauge of true salvation and the gauge of true discipleship is receptivity and commitment to the word of God. So if you want to be a true believer, like if you are a true believer, that means like the gauge to mark where you're at is whether you receive God's word, you accept it, and you're committed to it. That's the mark. That's the gauge of being a true believer. So the question is, are you committed to God's word, like to the Bible? Like do you, like have you picked it up in the last like six days or six months? Like, have you, have you read it? Because that is the mark. Like, that is what defines a true, like, true, true discipleship. 
That's what defines it, is whether you receive it and you're committed to it. Because what you've seen is when you neglect it, you neglect nourishment and you become, you reveal that your soil is the one that's among thorns or one that's among rocks or that you are a path. When you neglect God's word, you are becoming that kind of soil. Because if you don't have nourishment, you're not going to live very long. And so what's interesting is your spiritual growth post being a Christian. So let's, let's say, like, yes, salvation, you have to accept God, like you have to accept Christ, which you learn about him through his word, yes. Post believing in Jesus. For many of us in this room, most of us are Christians. For most of us here, did you know that your spiritual life currently is predicated on how much you engage with God's word? It is. You can be a Christian and be one of these other soils. You're never standing still. You're either moving towards God or you're moving away from Him. So are you becoming more filled like with just good soil and bearing more fruit? Or are you watching thorns come into your life? Or are you watching more rocks come in to where when you're challenged, man, you're just like, I don't know about this anymore. You're never standing still. You're always, you're becoming one of these soils more and more every day. And so where are you? Where are you? And that's the question. It's like, what kind of soil am I? Because there is a direct link, a cause and effect relationship between your time in God's Word and your spiritual life. So if you feel distant from God, there's a very good chance you have neglected reading your Bible recently. I'm not saying 100%. But I am saying, if you feel that way, I think you need to assess. So how do we change what kind of soil we are? Like, if, if, we, if we look at our life and we realize, man, I am just, I'm not the good soil. Like, I, like, I know that's where I want us to be, and like, that's where Jesus wants me to be. Um, but I'm just not, like, I just don't think I'm there. Like, I really believe I'm a path. I really believe I'm the rocks, and I've, like, or if I look at my life, I run after all this other stuff, and like, I realize like, I am the thorns. Like, what is the method for like, moving away from that and clearing that stuff out of your way to become good soil? What's the, good, what's the, what's the path for that? The path, look at it. Look, I'm going to read John 15 to you really quickly. It'll be on the screen for you as well. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 1. He said, I am the vine. I'm the true vine. My Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Scary thought. I don't want to be that. And catch this. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. In verse 3, it seems unrelated because of the translation. You already are clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you. But you know what's interesting about that word clean? It's the same one that's translated as prune in verse 2. And so here's what he says. Here's what he's saying here. Is that everyone who, who produces fruit, who's one of God's, he prunes in order to cause it to produce more fruit. He cuts off dead parts in order to, to divert nutrients to the parts that, he, that are good, that he wants to produce fruit. And how does he do it? Already you are clean, verse 3, or already you are pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. And he's talking to his disciples. 
What is he saying? God prunes us to produce more fruit through his word. Through his word. His word is the method that God uses to clean out our hearts and clean out our life to cause us to become more receptive to his word. Isn't that crazy? So if you neglect the Bible, it's going to cause you to neglect the Bible more. But if you read the Bible a little bit, it's going to cause you to read the Bible a little bit more, and God's going to work more on your heart and lead you to be more, in, more inclined to read his word. That's, that's crazy. Kind of like a runner's thing, okay? Some people get the runner's high. Some people don't. I kind of get it, okay? And so, like, in running, I know, sorry, Mike, but, like, I'm, I, I, love, I really enjoy running. And uh, in the past, we used to do a lot more running than we do now. We have like 50 kids, and so it's hard to do that. But, but when we do go run, guess what happens? Like we did a 5K this this past this yesterday, and like when we do the what like when I left the 5K, you know what I was thinking? Oh, this is awesome! Like this, I meant like I started googling when's another 5K? Like I want to do this, or when's a 10K? And so like I'm like, oh yes, okay, Dara, we need to go get a different stroller so that way we can do this more often. Like so like. The more I run, the more I enjoy running. And it's the same thing. as I know, Some people, that doesn't happen. It's just an illustration. All things break down, okay? But for me, it works, okay? But what he's saying here is the more you read God's Word, the more you'll be interested in reading God's Word, and that's the more it'll clear out your heart and cause you to be good soil, to produce good fruit, so that way you can stand when the sun comes up and when thorns start coming your way, you'll, you'll be, have a root there to withstand and remain steadfast, remain committed to God. And Ravi Gallaty says this, and I love the way he says it. He says, so we want to get into the Word until the Word gets into us. Because that is God's ordained method of changing our hearts. And so how do we do this? Practically, what do we do? I want to give you, I'm going to give you three things. For one, in getting into the Word, I want you to create a real Bible reading plan. Because for many of us, what we do when we're going to sit down and read the Bible, we kind of go, um, here. Okay, what is God saying in Psalm 74, verse 9? There are no signs for, <laughs> this is so great, this is perfect. <laughs> look what he's saying in verse this. Okay, look, verse this. Look what he's saying, okay? Imagine this is you. You just opened it up. And you're like, God, I just need a sign. Please just speak to me today. I'm just, I'm feeling so dry. There are no signs for us to see. There's no longer a prophet, and none of us knows how long this will last. <laughs> That's so perfect. <laughs> and then you read that, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> That's, that could not have been more perfect. And so what I think, what, what we should do, what you should do, is create a real Bible reading plan. Create something to where you read one chapter a week or one chapter a day for four days a week and just give yourself a couple of days to catch up. And, but go through the same book. So start in Mark, which we're going through right now. Start in Mark. In 16 weeks, you can pick a new book. So just like, so mark on your, on your calendar, on Google Calendar, or, or like put the, the pull tab in your Bible on Mark 1. And this week, just say, I'm going to read 
just verse, I mean, just chapter one. Just chapter one this week. And if, that, if that's like four verses a day or six verses a day, whatever the thing may be, guess what you're doing? You're creating consistency. You're creating consistency. Like when you want to, like when you want to eat an elephant, if you want to do that, you do it one bite at a time. You don't like try to do the whole thing, right? Like, or if you want to learn, like you see like this Martin Luther, Martin Luther talking, this, I feel, I think he was full of it. He said, oh, I think it was Martin Luther. It was one of the, one of those guys in the Reformation. He said, man, I've got so much to do today. I just got, I got, so I have to begin with three hours of prayer this morning. I'm like, you're a liar. But if you want to get to that point, guess how to get there? Don't set your alarm for three hours early and just try to do it. Start with five minutes. Start with five minutes. Because you're setting small goals to get yourself to where you want to be. And so if you, if you set a goal for reading four verses a day or five verses a day when you're doing none already, guess what you're doing? When you do that for one week, you know how proud you'll be of yourself because you did it? Because you read your Bible every day, even if it's four verses or five verses. When you do one chapter a week, you're creating a bar low enough to where you'll actually do it, but high enough to where you're like, there's something to attain. And you might think, oh, one, ver- one chapter. Well, then do five. I don't care. Like, you pick the number. It's, all, it's up to you. But I'm saying this. That has been one of the keys for me personally. And so, like, what we do is we read one chapter of Mark a week. And that enables us to really get down to what Jesus is actually saying in those verses, as opposed to reading like 30 and just calling it good. So read, read one verse. Or if you want something different, out in the foyer, I'll have, there's a New Testament, reading through the New Testament in a year thing. It's called 5 by 5 by 5 And, uh, and it just it gives you, just if you want a checklist, there you go. You can do it. If you want a checklist and you want to go through Mark, you can get a piece of paper out and write Mark 1 check. Okay? Like, you you can, like, make your own checklist. You can do your own thing. Okay? Spreadsheets are awesome. I'm learning that. And uh, so you can do that. A second thing I want to do to encourage you to get into God's Word is to be in a discipleship group. Be in a discipleship group. And so what this looks like is you meet with three to five people of the same gender in which you are reading the same stuff. Say, let's, you're going to start in two weeks. Read Mark 1, all of you. All of you for that week, Mark 1. And guess what you do when you meet? You say hi, you make a couple of jokes for 15 minutes, and then you talk about what you read. For, for 15 minutes, you say, hey, here's what, here's, what, here's what John the Baptist was saying in Mark chapter 1. Here's what I think he meant. And you kind of discuss it together. And guess what you're doing? You're building community among yourself. You're talking about your faith out loud in a public place because usually when you're going to meet, it's going to be for breakfast or something like that. But then also you're building consistency through accountability. You're building consistency. And the more you do it, the more you'll be interested in doing it. And then after you meet, after, after you talk about your Bible reading, then you can say, hey, what do we need to pray for? What do you, what, what's really happening? And you can pray for each other's marriages or kids or job or whatever the thing is. And then if you want, you can add accountability questions. What would you look at this week? Did you lie to me? You know, whatever you want to do. That's what I do. Those, those have been the two keys for me personally getting into God's Word. But here's another thing. Because as you get into God's Word, the point is not simply to gain a bunch of knowledge, but it's to make you more like Jesus. When God uses His Word, it's to change your heart to make you look more like Christ. And so what do we see Him doing here? Sowing the Word. 
We see him sowing the word. And so, so, the, so the thing for us is we want to get to the point to where we have God's word in us, which therefore we are cause, it's causing us to act like Jesus, in which one major way that Jesus acted in the world is by sowing the word among people indiscriminately. So the question is, are you a sower? Are you, are you sharing God's word in the world, his gospel, but also just his word? When people talk about just being stressed, you're like, listen, hey, Jesus, you know, like, here's where I turn. It's like, Jesus, man, he gives me peace. Because he says, hey, listen, like I say these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When he says that in John. Like you, when you have the word in you, then you can share it. So are you sowing God's word in the world? And so the question is, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? Are you engaging with God's word? And if you are, great. If you're not, or if you've struggled with it a little bit, what's the practical step that you can take today to engage with God's word more so that he will cultivate your heart and make you look more like Jesus? Maybe you need to set that, set that reminder for one chapter a day. But either way, if you've never met Jesus, you can through his word. And so if you haven't met him, I would encourage you to start. Read one of the Gospels. Read Mark, read John, and learn about this guy that we follow here. And what you'll see in the very end is that he came to live the perfect life that you could never live because he knew that we were not going to be perfect. He knew that we were not going to be able to engage with his word 24-7 or that we wouldn't. But what he did is he, he, he lived it perfectly. And in fact, he was called the word of God. But what he did is he came here to reveal the Father to us, but then to die on a cross in your place, the death you deserved. So that by believing in him, you would gain new life. You would gain a resurrection like his, but then also you would gain the spirit who would enable you and empower you to want to engage in his word to make him make you look more like Jesus. And that's what, that's what he does. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us his spirit to work his word into us. And so where are you? So as the band comes up, let's pray. And so, Father, we come before you. We thank you for giving us your word. And we thank you for for revealing yourself in it and, and teaching us who Jesus is in it and for giving men the, the desire and the capability of writing these things for us so that way today we can engage with them and hear more about you and have your word, the sword that penetrates our hearts and causes us to get the rocks and the thorns and everything out of our hearts in order to, to make us pure, to look more like you and to follow you. And so I pray that you give us um, a desire this week, and the power this week to put something in place to read your word more actively. And I pray that we'd be encouraged by this, to where it doesn't have to be all of every book of the Bible, you know, in, in a week. God, but I pray that you give us encouragement by reading just a little bit to build consistently would be for our good. And we thank you for Jesus, for sending him for us, because we are people who cannot live this life perfectly, but he did in our place, and we can have life in him. 
And so we love you, and we thank you for not giving up on us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.